the uh, the audience doesn't like it when we show up late. Um, oh, right. When we do show up late, it's usually whose fault there is. It's usually my fault. I think once it's been your fault, every other time it was mine. That's fair. And I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that just to rub it in. I just, I guess I am. I'm sorry. But today we're on time and it's both of our fault. That we're on time? Yes. Oh, okay. That, that That's a strange way to put it. But yeah, we are. Uh, we are. Um, Hi, everybody. Yeah, so the, the reason the reason we were almost late is because Luke was telling me about a book that he that he wrote, and then when he looked it up to give me the title, he's like, "Oh wait, I didn't write a book. I only wrote the outline." I never and, said I never said I wrote the book. I said I wrote <laughs> an outline to a book. I was struggling to find it. Eric, I I really don't appreciate when you tell the audience about mistakes we almost make. Haven't you learned this this uh, principle of never let them see a sweat? I'm always sweating, man. I don't know if it's because I'm overweight or or if I'm out of shape or because I smoke too many cigars. Well, this uh, is, could be all be about. I I think I think it's probably because you you never had to do piano recitals as a kid. See, I had to do a lot of piano recitals, and the most <laughs> the most important thing that a recital is, no matter how badly you mess up, you never let on to the audience that you messed up because uh-huh. most people will have no idea. Well, isn't that kind of like preaching? Like how often, like, I feel like I'm, I mess up uh, when I'm preaching uh, in my sermons, like multiple times, but I just try and not let anyone know. As, 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 lo- as long as you continue to look as though you know what you're talking about, most people will assume that you do. Yeah. Well, sometimes, because I'm terrible at, uh, what do you call it? Like letting my facial expression, I'm not good at hiding my facial expressions. So if I do mess up, it's really hard for me not to show that. So I'm, I'm actually really good about in the pulpit not doing that. My problem is when I'm down in the pew and something happens that I react to, I wear it all. So I've had like my uh, choir director or someone who's doing the prayer ask me afterwards. So what was that face about? Because I, I just wear everything. <laughs> It's like what's your what's wrong with your face? <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with your face? Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that before. Why are you Mambo number six today? I feel like there's a funny story. Uh, why don't you tell me why yours says read read Isaiah first? Because I'm I'm doing a really in depth study of the book of Isaiah for the first time in many years, and it's amazing. Okay. It's amazing. I so I am recommending to everyone right now the book of Isaiah. Like right now, like stop, watch, stop watching the show and go read Isaiah. Yes, turn off the Facebook, close the internet, and go read the Book of Isaiah, or open the Book of Isaiah on the internet and listen to the podcast. This is the only time I will condone multitasking is when the podcast is on. That's fair. Um, Isaiah is a good book. I can't say that I have studied it in in quite in. in Deep theological depth only because it is so challenging. Like Isaiah is an incredibly challenging book. I, of course, I've studied it, but uh, the those who can write commentaries on the prophetic books just astound me. Their their minds work in completely different ways. I'm a very linear thinker, and they have to be circular thinkers. I think. Yeah, yeah. Mike wants us to read Isaiah uh, to the audience. We should just do. We should. That should be our show for <laughs> the next however long. I- I, I don't I don't have seven hours. I don't know what why he thinks I would just have that. Is that how long it takes to read Isaiah? Uh, I would imagine it's at least three or four. Let let me let me look it up real quick. Yeah, yeah. Well uh, you can look you know you know what? Have you have you do you have the app Dwell? The Dwell app? Dwell Bible no, app? No, I do not. So it's a great app. I'm not trying to sell anything uh on here. I know Meredith accused me of that before, but when I was pumping <laughs> something else, but Dwell is uh is a really good Bible listening app. So mm-hmm. they will read the Bible to you in the in the ESV. And you can choose different voices, speeds, you can choose different types of background music, and it'll tell you how long it takes to read it. So or Isaiah, it. Isaiah is about four hours. Okay. I wonder how I wonder if you can listen to a double speed on the Dwell app. Now, Carolyn, I did know that Revelation quotes Isaiah, but I have to be a stickler here because this is something they do in the South that drives me nuts. The name of the book is actually Revelation. There is no S. 
You can look in any translation of, of the Bible, uh, and the title of that book is Revelation. But yes, it, there are some really fascinating connections between Isaiah and Revelation. So, Luke, back to back to the book that you haven't written yet. Uh, it's actually, I'm not making fun of you. The concept seems tremendous. So you want to share that with the audience, and then you can share the, the advice I gave to you about it? <laughs> <laughs> so I have the... Um, I have the outline of uh, a book called Slow Motion Ministry, and what inspired me to, to even jot down some of those, I, those thoughts and ideas was I have the wonderful privilege of being surrounded by some really experienced pastors in the denomination who have come alongside me and really discipled and mentored me. And I love to ask those older guys, hey, what would you tell you at my age that you know now that you didn't then? And so many of them have said, uh, pastoring a church is a long game. It's a long game that the, it's not so much about the urgency of changing things. Now it's about consistent messaging that, um, over time transforms the culture of your church. And Eric gave some really good advice And what he said was, that's a really great idea, Luke. You should probably write that book in 20 or 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this, Luke, uh, in all honesty, because somebody else might have a differing opinion. And, and I'm not saying that I'm right, but I wonder if you had it structured in such a way in which you included interviews in that work with pastors that have been in ministry for 20, 30, 40 mm -hmm. years as the foundation of writing that book. And then you can kind of provide a commentary throughout it, unifying all these stories. I think that'd be a tremendous book for you to write. And I, I'll pre-order it, man. How, how much are you going to sell it for? Wow. You I know what? You've inspired me. I, I'm, I just might pursue this. I'll get we'll back to pre-orders. Uh, so you can pick up, you can put your pre-order. Uh, you can get a pre-order of, of Luke's book that has yet to be written. Uh, you by subscribing to the to the Banter Club on Patreon. This is a pre pre order. Yeah, this is uh, this is super pre order. Are, are um, you are you gonna tell us about your name or not? Are you just yeah yeah? So there was a song back when I was a kid. This is dating myself. Um, this was I, I don't remember what year it was. It was early two thousands or late nineties. You might remember of the great musical artist Lou Bega, and he had a song called Mambo Number no. Five. And I want to say 80% of the song was him just naming women that he had dated. So it's, but the tune is catchy. The tune of it's really catchy. And I was thinking recently, I had a conversation with someone, uh, actually our administrative assistant. And I said, you know what we need in this world today? We need some more Michael Jackson. We need to listen to Michael Jackson more and we will be just nicer and kinder to people and life will just be better. And uh, then I thought today, we need Lou Bega <laughs> to come out with Mambo number six. Cause I don't remember Mambo's number one through four. 1999. Thank you, Glenn. He was a Lou Bega fan. <laughs> I can see that. Mark, you got to tell us your idea for your book. Tell us about it. Um, Eric, did you watch Star Wars episode two? I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm, I've been busy. Busy doing what? I played hockey last night. Um, so there was that and I almost died. So oh, now well, you have to tell a story. No, it's just because I'm so out of shape. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from what? So from the moment I I started playing hockey, I lost about 15 pounds, and I think in the last two months I've gained all that weight. And I've done no cardio, and I've done I've done no exercise in the last two months. And prior to this, I was playing hockey two or three times a week. On occasion, when someone would ask me to come play for him to sub, I might play like four or five times a week if I could. Um, but uh, yeah, I have I've done nothing for two months, so I I nearly died. I was gassed, man. All I hear every time you say I played hockey is I don't respect social distancing. That's all I hear. I wouldn't be the only one in this country, that's for sure, or across the world. <laughs> that's a, and that's maybe a story for a whole other podcast. But I I. I I'm for social distancing. I'm for take like let's be let's take precautions. Let's be cautious, but when everyone's saying, hey, we have a really good reason to not respect these social distancing guidelines and taking precautions. Oh, yeah, what's that? Protesting. Okay, I'm fine with protesting. Go protest. However, people are protesting with the vehemence in which we once gathered as the church. 
So I find if we can set aside these precautions for the purpose of, of a just cause, protesting is a, is a, can be a good thing. Uh, I think an even better cause is, you know, the cause of Christ. Right. I say amen to that. What are we talking about today, Eric? Uh, I don't know. Piety. <laughs> piety. Yes, we're talking about Christian piety. Thank you. So <laughs> he, you, he came so prepared on Tuesday with his list and his points. He Eric had to make sure that he was as, as unprepared today as he was prepared on Tuesday. That's really my goal. I got to balance things out. <laughs> Come prepared one day and then just, you know, fly by the seat of our pants on the next day. Um, but we're talking about piety, which is an incredibly important topic. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church has a kind of a different view on, on piety. You can look that up on your own time because I'm not overly familiar with it. But I do look – I think they consider it a sacrament or something along those lines. Um, they're a bunch of heretics. But uh, when we're talking about Christian piety, it's, it's really um, a concept that we often think about as we say, oh, people are pious, but we never define what pious means. So there's a problem in terms. So we're going to try and define that here today and then talk, to, talk about like just the practical application of piety. What does piety look like within the Christian life? So, Luke, did you do your due diligence and at least Google search what piety is? I know what piety is, Eric. Do you? I do. I want to make a comment to Mark Wolfington first, though. Mark, I I love this idea. This idea of of a book on leading small churches. Because you're right. Most of the the big-name authors are, you know, big-name people at big-name churches. And I've even got a title for it already. Little is much when God is in it. There's your working title. You're welcome. Hey, can I just say one more thing about Marky Mark? Um, First off, if he doesn't refer to his family as Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, then I don't know what's wrong with him. But two, uh, I he sent me his either I can't I never know there's a thesis or a dissertation from I think it was his PhD. He'll probably correct. Please correct me in the comments, Mark. But it was on essentially the Advent Christian Church and in church health mm-hmm. within the Advent Christian Church, mm-hmm. and, and um, I read most of. It's been quite some time since I read it, but it was really good. It was really good. So uh, maybe Mark uh, could publish that as like a, a book, and and because that would be really helpful. I think I'm always good. I'm, I'm always down for good Advent Christian works. Well, when you're ready to uh, do the press tour for your book, Mark, we'll welcome you onto the podcast. <laughs> We're really will welcome him on the podcast once you get fired. <laughs> Demon dissertation. That's the one. Mm-hmm. So um, was that the name of your dissertation? Demon dissertation? Mark? Are you making jokes now? Uh, not good ones, apparently. Okay. So piety. Piety. back to piety. What is piety, Luke? Uh, piety is reverence. It's devotion. It's obedience. It's this idea of holiness in the life of the Christian and of devotion to God and the things of God. That's good. That's good. Uh, quoting Tim Challies, he says, piety is the desire and willingness to live out what we believe. I don't think there's a simpler definition definition than that. Do you Ooh, read that again? I like that. Piety is the desire and willingness to live out what we believe. That's good. So uh, there was a story that uh, Nichols, uh, Stephen Nichols tells on Ligonier Ministry as, as I was doing some research for the, for the episode today. And he talks about how, you know, we look at the Puritans as some of the most pious individuals in the history of the Christian church. Uh, we look at their writings and whatnot and consider how, uh, how, how pious they are, their love for the Lord and their call for others to love the Lord in the same way. But what we often think are that these Puritans just sit in their ivory tower, which they didn't really have ivory towers here. Uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards didn't have an ivory tower, that's for sure. But you, you would think of Edwards as, as sitting alone in his study and just reading books all day and reading the Bible all day and spending four hours in prayer all day, you know, or not all day, but every day. So uh, although... Spending four hours in prayer can be a very pious activity. Uh, so can reading your Bible for four hours a day or reading the entire book of Isaiah in one sitting. 
which would be quite the pious activity, that they alone in on themselves are not the sole means of piety. In fact, yeah. uh, <clears throat> Nichols uh, discusses how, how, how Edwards would often go through the countryside, and, which was a very beautiful countryside, for the purpose of worshiping God, even in the midst of those carriage rides, going up and down the road and seeing the beauty of God's creation. Yeah. So highest activity is more about our, I think, direction of how we're thinking about things in every aspect of every moment in our mm -hmm. lives. So to me, uh, growing in piety is growing in our worship and devotion to God in every aspect of our lives. That's interesting because I because I sort of I think have a more narrow understanding of piety that it is the which displays your own lack of piety. <laughs> well, I, I'm not saying that the that the reverence of God should not touch everything in my life. Well, but I'm just saying when I hear the word piety, I do think more of the quiet devotion and prayer in reading. Uh, I, I guess that that's maybe where it would be helpful to sort of refine our definition a little bit would you basically say that any exercise of the faith the, that that involves involves you doing something could basically be called piety yes potentially okay. yeah yeah so 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 here's the thing right um the the an action can be i think in my view could be a pious action but is actually lacking in piety depending on your motives. Example, someone who comes to church out of tradition but lacks reverence. Mm -hmm. That's not a pious act. So the activity might be one in which we look to and say, that is, at, uh, that is a pious activity, one that we look towards as a discipline of the church, and it's something that can lead to piety. Bible reading can lead to piety as in the worship of God. That's, inter that's interesting. So you, you almost consider piety more a condition of the heart that is evidenced by the actions that we take. Other, otherwise, you, I think you would say that, and this is where I, we could sort of begin a discussion of legalism when it comes to piety, because I think one of the things about piety, it, it's, it's interesting to see sort of the the swinging of the pendulum within the church where you look at various movements, the Puritan movement, or even the holiness movement within the Pentecostal church a few, uh, a few decades ago, where you sort of see um, ho holiness, which is a good thing and something we're called to almost become the end all be all of the church. Um, but then on the other hand, you sort of look at the church today and it seems to me we've swung so hard in the other direction of Christian liberty that there, there's almost no mention of discipline in the Christian life. Uh, so it's, well, it's, you're, I think you're operating from a, from a misunderstanding of holiness. Hmm. So, so holiness isn't, isn't an action, but a condition. And the holiness has been given to you by the righteousness of Christ. To be holy is to be set apart. And our holiness is, is caught up in Christ. So um, one can grow in holiness in so much that they grow in Christ. And so it's kind of like holiness, piety, righteousness. These are all things that are kind of intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're not, we can't discuss one without discussing the other. Right. So I would say when we think of holiness, people often think of, especially when you think of Pentecostal holiness, right? You think of snake handling, which is uh, scary. Uh, but you also think of women in long dresses, not showing mm -hmm. any, any skin. You think of uh, lack of or, or abstaining from alcohol or tobacco, abstaining from television and movies and music. Like you certainly can't dance. Um yeah, I think I think of the Amish too in that way. Yeah, maybe. Um, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah. More specifically, the Mennonites. Okay, so so we have that view of holiness, which is not a view of holiness that we see in Scripture, because a view of holiness that we have in Scripture is God's set apart in this from creation, mm -hmm. but also His sinlessness. So mm -hmm. He's absolutely sin sinlessness. So to say that those things are holy. Um, or, or 
Um, to say that holiness is the absence of those things, those actions that we discussed, you are saying that those things are inherently sinful. Um, dancing is not inherently sinful. Uh, now, maybe easy, per- easy huh? there, Kevin. Easy there, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Kevin. Kevin Bacon. What are you talking about? Footloose. Have you never seen Footloose? No. What is wrong with you? Go on. Why would I watch? The, no. Why would I watch Footloose? How? How? But you've not even seen the scene from Footloose where he 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 quotes the Bible. No. All right, Eric. I'm going to send you a link right now. And no, please screen. don't. Please don't. I have enough. I have enough on my plate to try and do. So <laughs> it's a three minute clip. I'm going to send it to you. Um. So so dancing isn't inherently sinful. However, it, you know if you're dancing provocatively male or female and you're grinding up on people that can certainly lead to sinfulness so all right fair enough hang on i'm I'm grabbing this clip for you right now okay we won't won't play it on the stream because then we have to deal with copyright stuff and tom will yell at us later well tom doesn't yell but he'll 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 very calmly and politely tell us how how uh, how essentially we've sinned against whoever it is, whoever's clip that is that we played. <laughs> um, so anyway, so to look at those things as being marks of holiness, abstaining from all those things is to say that they are inherently sinful. Right. And I, I just don't see that in scripture. So we've had this conversation on the podcast before. Go listen to other episodes if, if, because uh, we don't really, uh, you know, I don't really want to dig into the weeds on those things that we've already dug into the weeds on before. But, you know, certainly we both agree that drunkenness is a sin, but right. we both agree that having a, an al- one alcoholic drink or, or drink that does not lead to alcoholism or drunkenness is certainly not a, uh, not a sin. Let me, let me just, for the record, your friend named Tank, so like yeah. the manliest name possible, yeah. in Footloose. I've heard the song. I know the song. And, you know, makes you do a little... You know, I, I get it, man. I get why, you know, but I've never been curious enough to want to watch the movie. Now, Nancy has uh, an interesting comment here that's a little off topic, but I think it's worth reading. In the beginning of my husband's role as a pastor, he became discouraged in that he felt very unprepared in the area of church leadership. He felt as if he didn't have enough practical knowledge surrounding the area of carrying out the role of pastor. He had a theology degree but felt lost in the area of knowing how to carry out other responsibilities. You know, I, I'll, I'll just tell you, Nancy, I feel really, really privileged in the way that God has, before I became a pastor and since becoming a pastor, surrounded me with great mentors, uh, with people who were older and more experienced and very godly people uh, who really came alongside me and walked with me as I learned, as I'm still learning how to shepherd well. And it's been, I can't, I can't imagine what a train wreck my ministry would have been without those people. Mm. Uh, I was allowed by my parents to watch Footloose. Oh yeah. So basically everyone but you has seen Footloose, Eric, but back to piety. That's okay. So how, so how would you, what language would you use to sort of distinguish, um, biblical holiness or, or, or I, I know you're talking, I know when I say holiness, you say we're referring to the imputed holiness of Christ. So maybe let's say uh, biblical sanctification mm-hmm. from legalism. How, how, yeah. how do you, how do you. Uh, so legalism you? says do this and you will be saved. Or if you don't do this, you aren't saved or do this so that it does not lead to sin or else you will lose yourself. So it, it is inherently adding to the gospel legalism. Mm-hmm. But to say, like, like if I were to, if I'm talking to someone, right. And you and I, you know, I talked, I've shared on the podcast, like I'm in the middle of publishing a book on discipleship. And one of the things that is incredibly important in my book is talking about the importance of studying the Bible and reading the Bible. Why is it, uh, can one be saved without reading the Bible? Certainly. Mm-hmm. However, growing in your salvation, growing in your sanctification, reading the scriptures are integral. They are critical 
in in your growth in sanctification and in piety. So, yeah. um, so it's something that comes after salvation, right? So. Now, oh, Nancy wants to correct herself. She was not allowed to watch it. She was almost 50 when she saw it, and she has no regrets. So apparently, Eric, you got to wait another 18 years before you can see Footloose. Um, you know what? I might never see it, just out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> I, as, as we're having this discussion, it really sort of brings to my mind the – and. I, there's there's always this wrestling match and i think we see it in the new testament where you have um the the wonderful reality that we are saved by faith apart from work or saved through faith by grace through faith apart from works and the reality that in the book of james that um faith without works is dead and i think one of when, when we talk about piety when we talk about sanctification when we talk about works um but especially about piety, I think it's important to understand that piety is not the goal. It's the fruit of what God is doing in and through you. That I think maybe that's sometimes where we can get this wrong is it's like, okay, Jesus saves us, but then we just set a, a set up a new target. We establish a new law. Um, it, it may not be an issue of salvation, but it, you know, in terms of pleasing God, okay, well, so great christ saved you from the law now here's a new one uh as as opposed to piety is a natural working or or, or the fruit of the holy spirit working within you do you think that's a, a accurate way of understanding it can you say that again in, in more simply piety is not a goal to achieve it is the fruit of the spirit in the christian I don't think it's something that I don't think piety is something that you lack a desire for. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's something I think we all desire. We, we desire. So it's, it's our piety should increase over time. Why should it increase over time? Because the longer that we're in the faith, the more time that we are spending united to Christ. And the longer we spend united to Christ, the longer we spend united to his bride, our people, our, our fellow believers. And as such, you are increasing in piety as you read the scriptures and as you worship God. Through your worship of God, God changes your heart so that you will love him more. And as you are increasing in your love for God, as you're increasing of your knowledge in him and the application of that love, you're going to see that love permeate through every aspect of your life. So for a long time, people, uh, I've met many people they might not say it this way, but their actions would make it seem that Jesus is the icing on the cake. Like they have, they have their life and then religion, they just had to pick a religion and they pick Jesus in, in their own mind. And this is what they do. They go to church and this kind of, there, there's no real action um, or there's no consequence of their following Jesus. There's no consequence of, of their coming to church or anything like that. They just think, well, you go to church on Sunday. That's just what you do. Yeah, I'm a Christian. There's no consequence to their profession of faith. Piety sees the increase of the consequence of following Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think what you're talking about is a, it's good, it's, but it's a different, I was able to sort of give the definition of piety that you would find in the dictionary, but in sort of my understanding of the term, I think you're maybe clarifying it some for me. Cause I think I would have sort of viewed piety as uh, basically equivalent to spiritual discipline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think Eric is the, is the message that the church needs to hear today regarding piety? What is it that, that, the 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 modern american christian or we can even get more specific what is it the people of your church you think maybe don't understand about piety or don't grasp about piety that um that that it would be helpful for them to learn or to, well, to well well my people grasp it perfectly because i'm their pastor so I, you know i <laughs> well let's say my people then you're well i can see why they might need some more help with understanding piety uh, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, we all, dude, we all need help um, in grasping. I'm not going to profess to be an expert, in, uh, being expertly pious. Uh, it's something that we all grow in in the faith. 
But I would just tell people, first off, it's kind of when you were talking about your um, your your future book that you're going to write in about 50 years, right? So a typical person it, might, take, oh, might take 30 years, but I'll, for you, it might take 50. I'll write the book the same year that you watch Footloose. Okay. I'll watch Footloose tonight if that's what it takes. I'll take one for the team. So I digress. We, Your book that you want to write is about really looking at the long game in ministry, right? So not everything is urgent. Not everything has to be accomplished right now. Our lives, although sometimes we'll read scripture and go, man, I don't meet up to this. And if I don't meet up to this right now, we question ourselves. Like I, I've been there before and I've met people like, man, I, I cussed out my kid. Am I even a Christian? Well, I, I mean, probably like do you feel bad about it. <laughs> you said that with such wonderful uncertainty. <laughs> well, one of the problems is that my background as an intelligence analyst causes me to hedge my bets, so to speak. So um, I'm very, my wife hates, everybody that knows me well hates that I just, I'm non-committal about just about everything. Um, I used to tell guys that they, they were coming for their briefing when we were downrange, like, all right, see this map? Somewhere on here, there are bad guys doing bad things. What kind of bad things? Bad stuff. So um, <clears throat> I was a very good analyst. You, you would have been terrible in the PR department for the war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, but I, I'm kidding. But if someone's like, listen, I, I cussed out my kid. And I don't know where this is coming from. But I, I know it was wrong. Um, I sat down and I, and I grieved. I cried. And, and I sat with my, my child. I apologize. They were gracious and loving, accepted my apology, not only because I'm their father, but because they saw the genuine, um, how, how genuinely distraught I was over this. And I, and they go, I recognize my, my sinfulness. Well, praise God, man. Like that's how you grow. That's how you grow in sanctification. That's how you grow in Christ. So just because you stumble and, and you cuss out your kid or your wife or something like that, doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but your recognition that it's wrong and that you grieved God and you sinned against your brother, that is evidence of repentance. That's evidence of God's work in your heart. So now you're responding in faith and you've been forgiven. So piety, likewise, is something that you look now and go, man, I just, sometimes I wake up, maybe it's five out of seven days, I wake up and I just can't crack open my Bible. Like I wake up five out of seven days and, and I realize, man, I haven't prayed today. And I'm not going to pray today. I'm realizing that I'm finding more enjoyment in uh, <clears throat> other things in life than I am actually in Christ. Now, here's the thing. You being unsettled by that is proof that God is working in you. So now you have the opportunity to break that cycle and not just wallow in self-pity. In fact, that is God's means to bring you to a greater piety and love for him. Hmm. And how gracious is our God? That that's, that's the means in which he, re, he helps reveal even our, he reveals our unfaithfulness to him so that we might grow in faithfulness. Hmm. It, it almost, the way you talk about it, it almost sort of reminds me of um, Piper's Christian hedonism. The, the idea that uh, sanctification isn't just a matter of we don't do the naughty things anymore, but it's actually a growing in the joy and the pleasure that we receive from uh, communion with God and obedience to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I am a Piper fan, although I do disagree with him on some things. I think he hates women or something like that. that that's a whole other story. But I'm just kidding. That's un, that's uncharitable. He was accused of that at one time. You have you have to remember the jokes that you would make about me. You shouldn't make about people that you don't actually know. Yeah, that's fair. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm well, sorry. What, what's Nancy's remark? Repeating <laughs> is what becomes an issue. Yeah. No. Look, I I don't know if this is necessarily on the subject of piety, but I think it is something that a lot of Christians wrestle with. Is um, not just you know, I lost my temper one time, or uh, I, I looked at pornography one time, but sort of these patterns of sin, uh, which especially you read First uh, John, and there's some really strong uh, 
strong parts of First John talking about if you continue in sin, then you have you have basically have no part in Christ. Uh, right, which is why you need the church, which is why God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ so that they observe these patterns because maybe you are so encapsulated by this sin that you don't even realize that you're in there. So God gives you brothers and sisters in Christ to be there and go, whoa, 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 brother or sister, whoever it might be, I am concerned for you. Do you recognize this? And then they look at you and go, what you talking about? And you go, look, 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 like, look at what you have done. And when you receive biblical correction, hmm. more often than not, with a with someone who is a, a right believer, someone who is truly in the faith, they will recognize the word of God mm-hmm. and see it as a mirror and realize the sinful, the, the sin that has been put in their life. Mm-hmm. And they will either have a choice to reject the word of God and thereby rejecting God himself thereby revealing that they were not a believer to begin with, or they will joyfully submit to their brothers and sisters. In in reality, they're joyfully submitting to Christ and his word. And that can be a struggle, that can be painful, that can hurt. And that's a process that could take months or years, not days. And as such, um, if they reject your um your approach to them look what happens after that after after if they if they reject the correction yeah then then we uh out of love for them we essentially eject them from fellowship well you gotta you gotta bring a couple other brothers into it i'm sorry you're right there's yes if if, you gotta bring a couple other brothers then you gotta bring them before the church yes you got to bring them before the, and that should not be done with um, haphazardly, and it shouldn't be done with without good teaching on the subject. It should be done humbly, and it should be done uh, with our hearts open, our minds open. And our goal is to see this brother or sister restored. Our goal is to is to give them the benefit of the doubt at every turn. But when they exhaust the benefit of the doubt in which they are no longer able to be given that benefit of the doubt, then you have to painfully and sadly remove them from the church so that the world will not look at them as a blemish to the gospel. But but it's also for their benefit. I mean, Paul says, I, I turned him over to his sin so, so that uh, he he might be saved. Mm-hmm. That, that we we you know in some ways the church is a protection from the natural consequences of sin mm-hmm. and when you remove that that um protection the hope is that in experiencing the the full consequence of their sin that they'll that god will bring them to repentance mm-hmm. uh, Nancy has, well first off nathaniel had a tremendous quote um and he quotes the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is just phenomenal. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, however, Nancy brings up a great question. Yeah. Do we care to tackle it? I, I, I would say this. Why don't we tackle this question? And then uh, we didn't talk about this before the show, but I don't have much more to say about piety. So after we tackle Nancy's question, maybe we do the catechism and we do an after hours show. I don't know if that's something you wanted to do today. You can do that. Okay. What if you only exhibit this behavior at home? Your family and children will become confused. Uh, they might wonder why your actions are different at home than they are at church. And, and I think we could extend this to anywhere. What if your actions are different at work than they are at church? What if your actions are different at school than they are at church? I mean, th- this issue of, consistency versus hypocrisy is uh, it's an it's a problem everywhere now i think uh i want to tackle but let's let's create a scenario okay so here's a scenario you have a husband that is uh verbally abusive we'll just go verbally abusive um to, to his spouse to his kids he just is a terrible person i mean more terrible than than you or i you know because in one way we are terrible people apart from christ to begin with but let's just say for the sake of this conversation he's just he's just bad right 
but he brings his family to church every Sunday. He's a member of the church. Maybe he's a deacon or, or something along those lines. And he's abusive. You know, he, he cusses at his kids and, and you and I have talked a little bit about cussing off air and we have a whole nother, that's, that's a whole nother thing um, that we won't get into, but he just, he, he calls his kids names, calls his wife names. Maybe he's unfaithful, whatever. Right. So that's what we're talking about. What, what do we do? What do we do if we are the spouse and assuming that she is a believer and he is a professing believer? Hmm. What do we do, Luke? I think we do what you said earlier. We follow the order of conflict given by the New Testament. We first, you confront him, just you and him. Um, he then, tells you to go take a hike. He, t- he tells you to, you know what? Yep. Then you bring someone with you, whether it be a pastor or an elder, uh, mm-hmm. some, someone that you trust who can be trusted with, with that really private information. And um, Great. My wife is advocating to kill him. <laughs> Robin, I look forward to you uh, uh, finding the scripture reference where it says, if your brother comes against you, just shoot him. <laughs> yeah, just shoot him. Um, <laughs> uh, my wife is like me. She likes to joke. So. <laughs> Hopefully I don't have to worry about my safety when I get home. <laughs> Where I feel like you were going somewhere with this. Where? Yeah, so so go to the elders. Go to the elders and the pastor of the church and say, hey, I need help. My husband is abusive. Not We'll say not physically, but mentally abusive, verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. What do I do? And um, you so you bring them to the husband, and the husband hopefully goes, oh, my goodness. I did not realize the consequence of, I did not realize the nature of my sin. I did not realize what I was actually doing. Cause let's face it, man, there's a whole lot of good reasons why people um, turn out to be terrible parents and terrible husbands uh, and wives and whatnot. There's a reason why people uh, treat their kids and their family. I would listen. I was raised in a home where I got cussed at all the time. I got, you know, I, I was treated very poorly. We, I wasn't raised in a church. So what recourse did I have? It certainly wasn't illegal, but at least within the church, you have recourse. What's the recourse? You go to the elders, you go to the path and yeah. you bring them in to bring upon discipline. And you hope that the father, and I'm not talking about my own dad. It was my, my, um, my mother's boyfriend at the time, but um, you, you, you're hoping that this brother, you're assuming they are still a brother in Christ, and you are trying to win them back. Mm-hmm. You're trying to win them so that they are they turn away from their sin. Now, they themselves might have been abused when they were a kid. Um, my sister and I talk about this to this day. Uh, my my mother's boyfriend at the time, I often referred to him as my stepdad. He I lived with him for about 10 years uh, between my mom and him. And he had, I mean, I didn't have the the best childhood when it came to those things, but his was far worse than mine. So here I am. It's easy for me to forgive him because I can recognize that he was the way he was because of how he was raised. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. I'm not that way. Uh, At least I don't think I am. My wife's on here. She can probably tell you, but I I don't believe I'm that way. I think if you were, she would have shot you by now. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So, um, you know, you have the opportunity to break the cycle, but that cycle isn't broken until you come to Christ truly and you repent of those things. Do I still have urges to act ways that I was taught when I was a kid? Absolutely. I notice things in my own behavior. I lose my temper. I, I, I am short fused sometimes, but I have to recognize that and turn from it. And yeah. sometimes someone might be caught up in that way and yeah. not even realize it. And really what they need are caring and compassionate brothers in Christ who will say, brother, this is not okay. You have first sinned against our God, but you have been forgiven in Christ. Now let's experience that forgiveness together. Let's repent of this sin. Let's yeah. turn away from it. And, and that can be a process that takes years to break that, that cycle of acting in that way. But you pray that people are gracious and loving in the midst of it, 
But if he is not a brother in Christ, if he ha- if he's if he is professing Christ only in in word, but he's not truly been regenerated, then I mean he's going to reject it. He's yeah. he's going to walk away, and there's nothing you can do. And and I appreciate Wes's point that realizing and repenting are different. That repentance actually has to do with turning away from something, not just seeing it for what it is. And according to Scripture, repentance is a gift from God. So right. this, this really is about uh, not just confronting when necessary, but also mm-hmm. uh, praying to say, Lord, you got to do what I can't do. All I can do is speak the truth to him. You're, you're the only one who can make him see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, too, in some ways, obviously we're called to – uh, live in a way that uh, that testifies to the gospel and to the lordship of Christ. But also, I, I really do feel like there is a, a part of piety uh, of that growing in the joy of the Lord that actually comes from the grace that Christ and the church offer you and that Christ offers you himself, but also through the church when you do sin, like I, I, I just think of as someone raised in the church, I heard the gospel at such a young age. I hadn't really had, I mean, obviously we were born in iniquity, right? I was wicked from the beginning, but I hadn't, I hadn't really had the opportunity to see that in myself until later in my life after I'd become a Christian. And I certainly, I certainly will not make excuses for that sin or make the mistake as, as Paul would say of, well, let's sin the more that grace may abound. But I would say that God used has used my mistakes and my sin to um, bring me to a place of greater piety in that I I rejoice in his forgiveness mm. that I didn't before I had made those those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love the term rejoicing because I think piety is the realization that you rejoice or the active uh, rejoicing in all of life. Mm. You rejoice as you eat a bowl of ice cream, as you watch TV, as you smoke a cigar, as you read your Bible, as you pray, you're rejoicing in the good gifts that the gift giver has given. That's good. That's good. That's, that's some good alliteration there. I'll tell you what, that's done. done. I, might be, I, might be a, I might be a preacher one day. <laughs> Maybe someday if you work really hard. Uh, why don't we go ahead and go to catechism? I can't stop that. Yeah, man. I I love talking about God, man. I love talking about just how he, how he, uh, how his presence, how all of that he is, as we grow in him, it permeates our entire lives, like everything. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Look, he <laughs> he's the giver of every good gift. Every single one. Every single one. All yeah. of them. Everything. It's kind of like <clears throat> if we look at every sin. Okay, I know we're we're drolling on, but that I I just I can't I can't stop talking about it. Okay, every sin is the misuse of a good gift. Oh, that's good. Every sin is the misuse or the idolatry of a good gift. Yes, porn 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 addiction, the misuse of a good gift, which is what healthy sexuality. Yeah, um, homosexuality is the misuse of a good gift, which is identity, mm-hmm. and then and then it becomes contorted. Yep. Um, food like overeat uh, overeating. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, what's what's the term? I can't think of the term for overeating. Gluttony. Yeah. Gluttony is the misuse of of a good gift of God. It's the yeah. overindulgence of something. And and in fact, not just the misuse, but the idolatry. Yes. The idolatry of that gift. Yes. Yes, the same thing with alcoholism, right? So alcoholism is a sin. Yes, it's a disease. It's genetic. Like, agree with all those things, right? But the the sin is still there, but it is the misuse of what was a good gift. How do we know it was a good gift? Well, we see that as Jesus turns the water into wine. It is a symbol of joy Mm -hmm. and happiness in the first century into Jews. So... Um, we, we see that all these sins that we um, we can often cherish or fall into. Yeah, uh, yeah, and see, and C.S. Lewis speaks to this so so brilliantly, where he makes the point that um, the enemy cannot create anything. 
all he can do is pervert what God already made. So I, I, I think that really just confirms what you just said. And I, I wonder if in some ways piety is God's reclaiming of that which the enemy has perverted in our lives. Oh, say it again, Luke. Piety is God's reclaiming of that which the enemy has, has perverted in our hearts and our minds and our lives. I would only add this, Luke, although I love that sentence. Um, you need to write that down, put that in the sermon somewhere. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it's just like a one-off statement. Like, eh, I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I just want to say this. Um, but it's experiential as well. No, no, I will not. Uh, I want to hear what you just said, but no, I am not going to start this game of interjecting random thoughts into existential preaching. What was it that you added? Uh, it's experiential. It's the, it's the experiential nature of what you just said. That's good. And I, I think we'll actually close this segment with what Pama just said, which is great. Let's look, this is Bible banter. What does the Bible say about this stuff? Old, the old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. God is making all things new, especially you and me. Especially you. Man, this, is, this has been a good episode, man. Uh, who, whoever, whoever suggests we talk about piety, thank you. It was a great suggestion. Uh, I really just like put like four or five things up on our Patreon page, and only one person voted. And this was – and they won. They won. So whoever it was, I can't even tell who voted for it. But you're welcome, and thank you. Um, oh, Mark, Mark Wolfingdon's making LOTR references. I like Lord it. Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah. I totally understand why people – like people who hate Lord of the Rings really hate Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I get it because if you look at it, like it's certainly a boring movie. You just have people walking from one place to another. I totally understand. Although the battle scenes are phenomenal. But the story, if you can get past just the walking – Okay, the story is just magical. Why do you have to get past the walking? The cinematography in those movies is stunning. Those people are just wrong. Let's let's move on to catechism. All right, maybe maybe after I school you on Star Wars, I can help you understand Lord of the Rings properly. Okay, that's fine. I love Lord of the Rings. But for catechism, let's um, let's switch the let's switch the order. I'm going to ask the question because I don't always do a good job of treating these with reverence, and I know that you will. So. Eric, what does creation tell us about God? First off, I don't know why you expect that I would be the one to be to show reverence, but okay. What does God what does creation tell us about God? I'll tell you, Luke. Creation reflects his beauty and his majesty. It reflects his beauty and his majesty. It is how the great Jonathan Edwards could go along the Connecticut countryside and enjoy God's creation and nature. And that would be an act of piety for him. Mm. I'm going to tell a quick story here. About... Wait, I got to read the passage, man. There's a passage oh. with it. Yes. You're just trying to skip over the Bible. Not, not here on Bible banter. This I... is a no skipping the Bible zone. I repent. I repent. Read the scriptures. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 19.1. Praise be to God. So here's the story I wanted to tell about this. So I grew up singing a lot of the old hymns, and as a young man, I thought they were slow and stuffy and boring, Um, including How Great Thou Art. Then I I went to school at— I knew there was a reason I didn't like you. (laughs) hang on let me get to the end of the story then i went to monterey college which sits right in the bowl of the black mountain or sorry black mountain it's i forget it's not the black mountains it's black mountain and i climbed up black mountain and um and i'm looking out at just this gorgeous gorgeous uh mountain range and the words from how great they are come to my mind when I, uh, when through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. And every time I had to sing that hymn from then on, I, the Lord just 
filled me with such joy and wonder at the creation he had made to reveal his own nature. Uh, it, it was a it was such a wonderful epiphany for me that okay, this hymn may not be in the style that I like, but it speaks deep biblical truth, and he connected me to that truth in a really special way that day. Right. That's good. That's good. Uh, Bickford, no, no, the movies are so much better. You're wrong. You're 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 almost never wrong. You're wrong in this. Have one. you read the books? I tried, man. I could not. Do so it. you don't even know, man. You can't make it. You can't listen. I'm like you. I tried reading the books, and I, but I tried reading them back when I was like maybe twelve. So granted, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse. I was kind of a Harry Potter type kid at that time. Oh, much you, lower reading level. You pagan! How dare you? Hey, there is a redemption theme in Harry Potter. Let's just say that, dude. In all seriousness, the um, the the story the story involving Harry, Snape, and Dumbledore. I don't know if she meant to do this, but one of the best biblical allegories in in recent history, in terms of fiction. Yeah, it is the redemption of of uh, of uh, Snape. In this, this is a whole not. I mean, this is another podcast, right? But Maybe. the redemption of Snape in, in in Dumbledore. I mean, really, primarily too. Harry Potter is kind of you know, I don't know. I don't like the character of Harry Potter. I think he's. Uh, I don't like. Him. I don't like Harry. I like I, all the other characters. Why? Why but, would anyone like Harry? He's 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 just like a bratty kid. He's a dweeb. He's a dweeb. I don't like him. I don't like Harry Potter. But I'll tell you what. I like that Snape guy. I like that Albus Dumbledore. I like Hagrid. You know, I like I, Hermione. I, I I was cool with Dumbledore until he was like posthumously homosexualized. That was the weirdest decision ever. Stupid. I mean, that, like, <laughs> incredibly dumb. Um, but should we should we call it there <laughs> now that we've opened the can of worms of witchcraft? <laughs> no, I just I wanted I want. Take the take all that stuff out of it, right? Because if you are a science fiction part, like if you like science fiction, you you can't argue, you can't be like, oh, you, you can't clutch your pearls over Harry Potter if you like science fiction. I'm just saying that, right? But I, I look at Snape. For those of you who've seen Harry Potter, you'll understand. But when he dies, there's no assumption that he has that when he dies he'll be vindicated there's no assumption that he has that through his death people will realize that he was actually the hero of the entire series of of movies and books to me that means so much this was a complete act of selflessness and he put himself in a high degree the highest of degrees of danger um to me it is a wonderful story of, of self-sacrifice now glenn i look forward to hearing that story someday i'm you know the lord the lord does that he uses song poetry art you know he there are just so many ways that he speaks to us but of course ultimately and firstly always speaks through his word we've certainly got quite a bit of his word today this was a great show eric can i tell you a funny story about lord of the rings i feel like we should save this for the after show Okay, I will tell you the funny story about Lord of the Rings on the after show that you can find. Where can they find it, Luke? Yes, if you want to hear the after show, you got to go to patreon.com slash Bible Banter and join the Banter Club. You're going to have to at least join, is it, is it the vet, the veteran, or the VIP? The five, the five bucks a month. Uh, veteran, the, veteran, yeah. Okay, veteran, so you can, you can do three, five, or ten bucks a month. Again, for now... Every single dime that you give us is really just going back to reimbursing Eric for some of the costs that he's accrued and making the show work. And um, by the way, you get a free digital copy of my book at the $10 a month level. Yes. But if you if you come to the $5 a month level, you can uh, hear the after show, which we're going to go to now. We appreciate you guys and your participation in the show. Uh, thank God for Christ. Thank God for the piety that the Holy Spirit produces in us. And hey, how about this? Smash that share button and the like button and give us an honest what kind of review? Five. One, two, three, four. Five star review. 
as my son would say, none of those dishonest three-star reviews. Um, but hey, our goal is to proclaim the gospel, edify the saints, and you can help us. Even if you can't subscribe to the Banter Club, um, you can help us by subscribing on iTunes, giving us that five-star review, and sharing this video. So God bless you. Take care. Wait, Luke, we're not going to be on air next Tuesday. Correct. Yeah. So uh, Luke is going on vacation. So you can blame Lukey Luke. Hey, it'll be for my birthday, okay? Yeah. And, and I do find it ironic that you're going somewhere that you don't particularly enjoy for your birthday. I'm going to be with the people I particularly enjoy. This is what I think Jesus means by crucifying the flesh. <laughs> if, if, if a family vacation to the beach is crucifying the flesh, sign me up. <laughs> it would be for me. <laughs> God bless you guys.